Welcome to ALFC's Message of the Week. Pastor Steve brings a word to greater understand the nature of the church, how what we do affects one another positively or negatively. Overcoming the mess. We're looking at uh, the letter to the Corinthian church, and why don't you turn there, chapter 5. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, discussing this with you. Um, this is quite an uh, uh, interesting um, passage, a very powerful passage. And so we titled the message, we're talking about overcoming the mess, Sin is Messy. Can you see a minute of that? I love that picture. That, that actually is a picture of my desk. No. Uh, <laughs> and uh, you can see, like, uh, you know, what a mess. And uh, in fact, you know, that's, sin is such a, a big mess. And here's a passage that is very powerful. And um, when, you, when you read this, um, so we're going to do this in two parts. I'm going to encourage you, I'm going to start today and then next week I will uh, finish chapter 5. And, and I'm going to ask you, do me, uh, just do me a favor, before you start um, and we'll talk about judgments. So before you start making judgments, uh, let's make sure we get through both parts. Can you say me of that? <laughs> this is, let me tell you, this is one of those things I've done a lot of praying and a lot of studying, and I've got people helping me. This is not an easy passage to look at because I was thinking, um, I, I think we probably looked at this something like 15, 20 years ago. Uh, we haven't, uh, you know, uh, looked at this particular passage, but in the world we live in today, this is an unbelievably uh, uh, relevant passage. But let me tell you, it is an unbelievably challenging passage because of what it's going to say. So look, can we just read through the first eight verses together? Let me just read it. You follow along, and then we'll get into it. I'm going to break. I'm going to do more of an exegetical study, so we're going to just kind of walk this thing through. Uh, kind of almost verse by verse. but So starting at verse um, uh, 1 of chapter 5, 1 Corinthians, right? Uh, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality as is, it, it is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife. And you are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. Verse 3, for I, in, for I indeed, as absent in the body, but present in the Spirit, have already judged as though I were present him who has done, who has so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my Spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump. God's calling you a lump. <laughs> oh, I love Yeah, isn't that great? Hallelujah. We are all... Can you say, can you look the person next to you? You are a lump. <laughs> Sorry, Pat. You are a lump. <laughs> I love that. We should make a, that'd be great. We should do that online. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, like, let me get back here. Okay, so since you truly are unleavened, for indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, 
let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the, uh, but, I'm sorry, no, uh, with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Amen. Oh, I love this passage. Amen. When you think about this, and again, how relevant it is today, and all that this is saying, you might kind of look at this almost like this is a case study. So something has happened here that's quite significant. And like it says, going back in verse 1, it says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife. So we're talking about something that um, is going on within a specific situation but it's also probably something that is connected and sort of webbed throughout the church. There's a thread going on here. And so we're dealing here with something very significant. Sexual morality, basically we're talking about, here is an individual in the Corinthians church that has gotten involved with probably uh, we would a stepmom. And the reason he's gotten involved, we don't know exactly, but... Um, it's probably, uh, you know, dad maybe passed away or dad divorced her, something like that. We don't know exactly. But for whatever reason, this is without question and contradiction to God's word. doesn't matter what happened. Um, you don't go and um, engage in sexual relationships with your stepmom. And again, so it's not biological. So that, you know, again, and again, there's a lot of discussion about the differences. But, you know, I want you to understand what this is saying. That is absolutely critical. And this is the word to the Corinthian church. And I was thinking, you know, this is like, this is the church down the street from us. You know, this is the church that, uh, you know, is all around us. And basically, it's a very simple thing. Sin is personal, but it's not private. And that's a bit of a challenging statement. Because we like to think my mistakes and my failures are private. Right? And that way, if nobody knows, then, you know, well, that's, that's, that's good. But the Word of God doesn't say that because the Word of God recognizes that sin injures the church and definitely impacts the community. I mean, we see the impact. I mean, not just obviously the church community, but it impacts the world around us. I mean, we are all impacted. I mean, all you got to do is just go listen to the news for five minutes and you're impacted by some of the terrible things going on. And I think that's an important understanding that it's very personal. You know, we all know sin is personal. I mean, and it injures us. And we're going to talk more about that. There's a lot more to say about it. But I wanted to make the point, it's not private. And that's something, once again, that is you have to realize when you... And we're talking to the church right now. You understand that. And so what's happening is, is that when you sin, and I've said this before, and here this passage is really bringing this out, you don't do this in isolation. It affects everybody else around you. Now, here's where it gets challenging. I'm hoping for conviction today. Because I think some of us sin and consider it private and like it doesn't matter. I'm hoping the Spirit of God is going to talk to you and remind you, it really does matter. You know, it's just, uh, I, I got to tell you, I had this experience. So this is a while when I was in the military. I, I've had some amazing opportunities in my military career. Um, and the majority of it was part-time, but part-time, I was, I, I, I look back and I was, during my career, I was averaging, uh, 
probably about uh, 15 to 20 hours a week in my, uh, throughout my, my military career when I was just uh, uh, active reservist, but, uh, but I also was active duty. But I remember one time, so I was hanging out with the Army. Every now and then, the Air Force hangs out with the other services, and that's a good thing, amen? So we're a joint force. We work together as a team, and it's always good to see how the other team does things, right? And it just, a, for me, it helped me so appreciate my decision to be a part of the Air Force. <laughs> I mean, all the services are amazing, and anyone, whatever service you've been in, that you're awesome, but uh, they are, the cultures are different. Do you know this, that? I mean, they really are different, right? I mean... I've lived with Ken for like, you know, a long time and, uh, you know, and he's on, we're on a team and he's Navy. I still don't understand Navy, but I'm getting it, I'm getting it, you know. <laughs> All this, and he's a submariner, so he's even, he goes down deep, so what can you do? Uh, so I could go on with that. I won't pastor Ken. But I was watching a sergeant one time and the, I, we were over there, we were training because one of the trains you do is you learn how to, you know, you've got to do caravans and stuff. You just don't get it, you know, when... They teach you, you just don't get in a group of trucks or whatever, and vehicles, and just, oh, okay, let's go for a drive, you know, someplace dangerous. There's a whole thing that, I mean, that took, it was a week of training. And in the very beginning of the training, I thought, oh, Lord, don't let this happen to me. But I watched a sergeant rip into a private. Have you ever seen, I mean, that was, I haven't seen that very often, but, I mean, this poor private just, you know, um, well, here's what he did. He forgot to tie his boot laces. Right, and so they're kind of, you know, like on the ground, right? So he had everything laced up, and I, I don't know, I think, I don't know, he's in a rush or what was going on. Uh, but, you know, I, and I, at first, because I was right there, I mean, I was kind of getting ready to do some training, and, and it was like, like where um, Pat is, I was like that close. And this sergeant, who was maybe five, three, or four, was talking to this private who was probably, you know, 19 years old, this poor kid, and he had, and I'm looking at him going, couldn't you like have tied your shoes, you know? And, uh, he, and, and he's getting ripped. Some of you know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, I will not, I cannot quote the language that was being used there. <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay, at, at one point I'm going, enough already, let's get on, we got things to do, because he was going on and on and on, and I thought, oy vey. Um, but finally, he, he looked at the guy and says, I don't remember the exact words, but somebody like, listen to me. I said, and I wrote this down, he said, here's the deal, you need to focus. Because we're going to be downrange. And you're the guy with the loose laces who couldn't keep his eyes on his feet at a crucial moment and you tripped. And you just risked my life. And you risked the man next to your life, and everyone else in the unit. And then he said this, I'll never forget. Private, there is no such thing as just your personal safety. And then he added, what happens to you happens to everyone. Tie those laces, and I won't go on. (laughs) And he just, I never forgot that. Because that statement just, I mean, I think the sergeant looked at me thinking maybe he was talking to me. My laces were tied. Can you see a of that? Thank <laughs> God. I don't think it would have mattered if I outranked him or not. Like, okay, my, look at laces all really, well, double knotted, right? They are not coming. Tucked in like they're supposed to be. You can't see anything. What happens to you happens to everyone. 
And I thought, what a powerful statement. In other words, we're training and doing all this because if, some, if you do something wrong, the guy next to you could get killed. In the military, you learn that that's such an important part of being a team. Let me tell you something that's true in the church. You know what? Um, if you trip up and something happens to you, it happens to everybody. Now, here's the challenge. I don't think we really live that way. Again, I think we just believe it doesn't matter. I'm pretty convinced, and, and this is what was happening. That's exactly what's happening in the Corinthian church. It's like they are not caring about what's going on around them. And in this terrible thing that's going on, and it has been going on. If you look at the Greek verbiage in there, this wasn't a one-time event. This has been going on, we don't know exactly how long. My guess is easily a year or more. And so it has been. That is a linear word, a verb, that is saying this has been ongoing, continuous. And you know what? And look at verse 2. And you're puffed up. I mean, he's like, he just nails them right away. He says, and you're puffed up and have not rather mourned. Again, you see the polarity there. You see there's, there's something being compared here that he who has done this deed might be taken away from you. In other words, you guys are living with this like it doesn't matter. You're living with this unbelievable sin. And you've got to remember, sin is sin, right? All sin is not a good thing. But in this case, this is blatant in your face. They're, they're going to church. Well, these were believers. They're going to the fellowship together. They were probably going to, at this time, they're still going to synagogue as well. They were going to synagogue together. They were going, they were living life together, sort of in the open, and the church isn't saying anything. No one's saying anything because, well, you know, it's a private matter. You know, just do whatever you want to do. Have fun. God bless you. Right? I mean, isn't that how we live today? See, we do. We do live that way. Because look at all the things that we turn away from. Think of all the things that we just, this is why this is so unbelievably challenging. Because this is talking not to the world, this is talking to the church. So I, I want you to make sure you get this. This is not addressing like when I'm talking to everyone outside us, you know, the world, because don't, you got to make that disconnect here that this is not a general word. There's lots of general other words about sin across the board. So please don't make the mistake that we are in any way excusing sin in any shape, manner, or form. Are you with me on that? Can you see that? We're talking to us right now. This is like a family conversation. And that's exactly what this is being written to. And the idea is that, listen, you that are in the church, you need to recognize that if you're a follower of Jesus, and if you believe in his word and all the values and principles and everything that you and I are reading in this word, then how is it that you're puffed up and not mourning? How is it that your reaction is such that you are lacking in your commitment and your integrity and in your honesty about God's word? It's like, how can you look the other way? And he's talking to leadership. He's talking to guys like me and I think most of us here in this room right now, we're leaders, right? I mean, we, we you know, first service is more predominantly leaders. Can you say amen to that? If you're here, you're a leader. Can you say amen to that, right? Okay, so I'm uh, sorry. That's, uh, so if you don't want to be a leader, then come to the second service. No, just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding, okay? <laughs> That's all right, you can go. That's all right. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. 
And basically, I'm going to be strong here. How can, how can we be so arrogant? How can we be so prideful? I mean, maybe in some cases, how can we be so naive to overlook such something that is so blatantly banned by God's Word? It's like, this is, this is not a question. It's not like we need to do a, uh, you know, a, an exegetical or a, or a study of the Hebrew, Greek, or anything else. It's just like, hey, this is just wrong. You know, this is something you don't do, and this is a really bad idea. Here's what I think is happening. I think they started confusing the definition of grace. Uh, when I study this, I'm pretty convinced that they're thinking, here's what they're thinking, right? Grace somehow supersedes the moral boundaries of God's Word. Now, we've got to provide such grace and sort of, you know, understanding and tolerance and all those kinds of words you can think of that it's going to now override the boundaries of God's Word. Even though God's Word says, no, don't do this, grace ought to just help us all relax and be flexible and look the other way because we want to be people who understand and know grace. Can you say amen to that? Right? (laughs) I'm trying. (laughs) I mean, you know how easy it is to get stuck, especially where we live in a day, because we're already getting a lot of bad press. I was thinking about, this is rough because we're already looking like the bad guy here. I mean, we're looking like we don't care and we don't love and on and on it goes. Now, again, I want to remind you, this focus is on us. This is not something you're saying to the world out there. You don't go to your coworker and say, no, I just, wow, amazing passage. And I mean, I, want, I need to confront you. That, that's, that's not what this is saying. If you do that, you have not listened. Okay? Okay, so check with me first before you do that dangerous thing. <clears throat> Grace forgave our sins. Can you see me know that? Grace says that, you know, you don't have to perform in order to be saved. You just receive Jesus. Can you see me know that? That is so awesome. But grace is not a license Grace is not a reason to disobey the clear instructions of God's Word. All right. And that's all that you know, the Apostle Paul is writing to, the Word of God is, is explaining to us. Because he's saying, you know, the problem is your pride, and that's puffed up, being puffed up is pride, arrogance, is poison. He's saying, listen, this is, this is poisonous. And if you don't get this, then, you know what, uh, someone's going to die here. I, I was thinking, um, I, I put a picture of there of a pufferfish. I mean, oh, you, you can only do this when you're diving, but you get out of the water, this is so cool. Pufferfish, I mean, they're like, they, I mean, they really look like nothing, right? And they kind of, their, their spines and everything kind of go along the side of their body. And then when they get a little bit agitated or concerned about whoever, like, like me, as a diver, I kind of think, you're going to eat me. I say, no, I just want to look at you. I just want to take a picture of you. But they puff up. And what they do is they actually bring in a lot of water and, uh, and it just kind of, they expand their, their stomachs, basically. And that's what they look like, like this ball. But all of a sudden, all their spikes come out. Now, let me tell you, if you're ever around a puffer fish, don't bounce it with the spikes. <laughs> let me tell you why. A puffer fish has enough poison in it to kill 30 humans. Wow. And here's the other part that you want to remember. There's no antidote. 
<laughs> so next time you see a cute little puffer fish, <laughs> go the other way. <laughs> because they may be cute, but they're deadly. You know, the more cute they are, that's nature's way of saying, stay away from me. <laughs> You know, and I thought human beings are like puffer fish. We blow up, we puff up. And you know what? That pride, that arrogance is a toxin to marriages, to families, to the church, to the community. Yeah, I, I, I wrote this down. Pride is our greatest enemy. Humility is our greatest friend. I'm convinced, and I'm talking to myself, I need a lot of humility. I, I, I'm always learning about humility. That's, that's an ongoing lesson in life. Can you say amen to that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it goes on and basically saying, so what should we be doing? So here now we're getting instructed. So what do I do when, when all this happens? What do I do? Well, godly mourning. That's what you do. The idea here is it says have and, and, and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. In other words, there should be godly sorrow. In other words, here's how we respond. I, I love the fact it's not saying, you know, why are you not angry and all upset and ready to go beat up this guy? Instead, I love the response. Why are you not mourning? I love the fact because this is something of more of, a, of an empathetic response, of, of sympathy, of understanding, of of emotional and spiritual connection to the truth of the damage of sin, and all of a sudden you, you feel like, oh my, oh my God, how could this, how could he do this? And it's not how could he do this to us, how could he do this to himself? How could he do this to, to, to the Lord Jesus? Because you realize it's a slap in the face to Jesus. Because it's like saying, God, your word doesn't matter. I'm, I'm convinced there was some kind of disconnect in the church spiritually and emotionally that was going on when it came to God's boundaries because they should have mourned. Be, they should have been like at a funeral crying for the loss of what's going on here. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, <laughs> there's, there is a response to this stuff. And I think sometimes we don't understand our re- the response needs to be. So I'm giving you the, a biblical response when we see things happening within the body and we see someone doing something wrong, this is not we're going to go beat them up. We should be mourning. That our, our emotional, spiritual response is, wow, this is really, really sad. And we kind of grieve at what's going on. And we feel that. I, I'm convinced if we would respond in that way, how powerful it would be. I don't know about you, but that's much more powerful than someone just getting angry at me. Because i got to tell you, if you get angry at me, I'm probably going to get defensive or I... I'm going to, you know, I'm going to puff up even more and try to poison you. But if you respond with understanding and sympathy and mourning, because that's what he's talking about over what's happened. He, I mean, there's something going on right now. I mean, do you see the, the, let me call it this way, the moral undertow that's going on right now? You guys, you, you guys, you guys, you guys know what an undertow is? Right? You know, so when you're swimming, you're in the water. You don't see it because, like, the water can, you know, you're in the waves. In California, when you swim in the beaches, you know all about that kind of stuff. 
And so when you're swimming and all that, you've got to be careful because an undertow can grab you and take you down and out. And it'll, it can kill you. And I, I don't think we're seeing the undertow that's going on that's pulling literally the life of the church out to sea. And, and we need to start becoming concerned about what's going on. And I believe the contradiction that the world sees in the church today. Because there is a contradiction going on. I mean, how can we rationalize and ignore sin? But here's the thing is when we do that, the world knows it. And so they're looking at us going, so how is it that you're a Christian? How is it that you're a believer and you're ignoring the very thing that, you know, I, I, I think you know is wrong? And so now we look like hypocrites. Because we're pretty quick then to judge everyone else around us, but we're not taking care of what's inside. So it seems to me that the response and what I hear is we ought to grieve when we see this stuff and then take action. You see, to, to refuse to remove sin is not practicing love. If we're not willing to address this until we as the church actually start to grieve and repent over sin. And here's a hard word. Over our sin, over the sin of the church, and over the sin outside the church. I'm convinced that we're not going to see the blessing that God has for the church. Because I don't think we agree. I think we look around and say, well, what a shame. So you're saying, well, what do I do? The Word of God is giving you instruction. You allow the impact and you grieve, you mourn. And then you follow up, and, I'm gonna, and, we're gonna, and you pray. I mean, the first thing out of the gate is, is when, you're, when you're hit and you're mourning, you're grieving, you pray. Before you do anything, you, you go talk to God. And then we can take action, whatever may seem appropriate. And the Word of God has a lot to say about what actions we are to take. And let me tell you what we don't take, is we don't ever beat up people. We don't ever are become vindictive and cruel and mean, and, and we don't excommunicate people. We don't do any of those kinds of things. We grieve, we mourn, we pray, and then we do some kind of action, and we try to talk to people. We try to reason with them and turn them to the place that they need to be. And just hope And trust the Spirit of God to do an amazing work in people. Amen. Amen. Yes. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord. And I love, uh, I'm going to step out of this passage for a second, 2 Corinthians. Um, it, it says, uh, for God can use sorrow in our life. Can you, can you believe that? It says, God can use sorrow in our lives to help us turn away from sin. Right? That's kind of validation we're talking about. And seek salvation. We will never regret that kind of sorrow. But sorrow without repentance is the kind that results in death. Now, I got to tell you, I love C.S. Lewis. If you've not ever read C.S. Lewis, you can Google C.S. Lewis. He's written, what, 60 books or something like that? Some huge number of books. And, you know, let me tell you, what you can do is just read almost any book. I, I, here's a quote that that uh, came out of um, uh, uh, a book. He says, Fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement. 
He is a rebel who must lay down his arms. This process of surrender, this movement, uh, this process of surrender is what Christians call repentance. Now, repentance is no fun at all. It is something much harder than merely eating humble pie. It means unlearning all this self-conceit, the self-will that have been that we have been training ourselves into and for thousands of years. It means killing part of yourself, undergoing a kind of death. Man, I wish I had written that. C.S. Lewis just had a way with words. You know, he was an English professor who became a you know, famous, obviously, one of those guys, famous writer. Mere Christianity is where this comes from. Great book, if you haven't read it. You see, what's being discussed here is, so what is the nature of the church? And, and who are, what are we about? And he kind of, if you look at verse 3 through 5, it says, For indeed, as absent in the body, but present in the spirit, uh, have already judged as though I were present, him who has done done this deed. And it says, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you gather together along with my spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus, deliver one, such a one to Satan for the, for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Okay, now once again, this is tough stuff. I mean, this is challenging, right? And I don't want you to misunderstand this. So this is why I want to just take this moment here to make sure we understand this. Because this has been so misunderstood. Now, let me start off, first of all. The church is holy. In other words, now, understand holy. I'm not saying you are holy, because you are the church. But you are holy because of who you are in Christ. So I want you to know that in of yourselves, you're not holy. But because of Christ in you, you are holy. Now, therefore, the church is made up of people, right? Remember we talked about that? Okay, we're not talking about a building here. We're talking about people. And we're saying here, and here's what this word is saying you know, the church is holy because the people are inhabited by the Holy Spirit of God. Okay, so you receive the Lord, right? And when you receive the Lord, you get the Holy Spirit, right? The minute you have the Holy Spirit, you now have God who inhabits you. Doesn't possess you. This is not some weird statement. Okay, I know there's a lot of things out there. You go, well, inhabit me. Whoa. No, this is not. Please don't go there. And if you, and if you did, you're watching too much of that garbage. Okay, we're talking about the presence of the Holy Spirit in human being that takes place. Now, because of that presence, everything starts changing. Here's what the church is not. And this is, what the, this is what the Apostle Paul is writing. This is what he's saying to the church. This is what God is speaking to us. It's not some random gathering of individuals. See, once again, I think we have this crazy idea that, well, we're just a random gathering of individuals, and we can just gather wherever we want. Now, it's true, you can gather wherever you want, but that is not what the church is. The church is made up of people who are called to gather together. And you're called to a place where you gather together. And we are a spiritual community connected spiritually to one another because of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me say that again. We're connected to one another because of the Holy Spirit. You are, here's what Paul is saying. This is what the Word of God is saying. You're not just a bunch of individuals that it doesn't matter what happens. We're connected. Now, listen, I, I almost want to apologize. I'm sorry, but I didn't say this, and I'm not making this up. This is the Word of God. And once again, we're challenged by the concept of what is church. Church is people with Jesus at the center of it. And people who are connected by the Holy Spirit. 
which means, therefore, we do, because we're connecting one another, we affect one another. Right. <laughs> kind of rough. You know, when one of us suffers, we all suffer. That's what it's supposed to be. And we got people who are going through hard times. Every day of my life, I think about that. I pray. It's, it's in, it's, it's in, when you share something with me, for just if you want to know a little bit about who I am and what I'm about, then you should know that I am very much connected to what goes on in your life. Now, I may not, you know, I'm not going to invade your life and start calling you and all kinds of dumb things, but I'm going to pray for you. Man, I, I, and, I, and I'm going to share concern for you. And so is the rest of my team. That's what we're supposed to do for one another because we're connected. It means something when you're going through something, I'm going through it. You know, I, I, when, when, you're, when, you're, when you're going into surgery, I'm, I'm, I'm imagining as I'm praying the Spirit of God's with you as you are headed in there. That's what I imagined. I thought when I went and had my surgery a little while ago, I thought, you know, there's a lot of people praying for me. I'm going in with a whole team and not just the surgeon and his medical staff, but I've got hundreds of people praying right now, and then we're all going in the room together. This is really going to be cool. And that helped bring about the peace of God. Can I going to say something again. This is challenging. As I read this, as I think about us, I'm, I'm telling you, this is the church today. The church today lacks conviction. They really do. Um, you know, John said, but when, uh, this is John 16, uh, he said, uh, and when he, the Holy Spirit, has come, he will convict the world of sin. Yes. He will convict the world of sin. Now, notice I didn't say condemn. Convict. Okay? There's a difference. Big difference. Even Romans addresses the difference. Okay. Are we convicted of sin? So again, this is the challenging part. I don't think we are. I mean, I'm pretty much convinced that the church today is becoming more and more to what I said in the beginning. Well, that's, that's a private matter. You know, that's, that's their thing between them and Jesus. I'm going to stay out of it. That just isn't right. That is not what God has called us to do because, I mean, you think about it. If we start reconnecting, and we actually start responding as we've been called to respond, and we mourn to what's going on around us, that's going to change the game. Because now we've got to get involved with one another. And now we've got to start really caring. Because I don't know about you, but when you start grieving, you just can't grieve and walk away. I mean, I guess you can. I mean, I, I, the rally, I guess you could do that. I have seen that. But it's really hard to do. This is tough love. Tough love is when, you know, when we realize that we're challenged so that, you know, we, we get it that when someone is involved in something that isn't right and we, it's sin, like this, this young guy who got involved with a stepmom. I mean, he's, if he was in our midst, would we look the other way? I think we would. We'd go, well, that's, you know, that's his thing. You know. Who are we to say anything? But here the Word of God is saying, well, but this isn't right, and what we should do is, well, the first thing is we mourn, we, we, we feel it, and then we pray. I mean, really pray. 
And we ask God to intercede. Here's something I've learned, that I get to that second step, prayer, asking God to intercede. A lot of time God intercedes. I don't have to say a word. Can you say amen of that? Oh, I love when that happens. I love when someone says, hey, Pastor God was talking to me the other day. And I'm thinking, yeah, I was praying for you, that's for sure. And God just spoke this to me, and I'm going to make this change. I'm going to do this thing I've, I've heard from God. And I don't jump, I go, but I'm jumping, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. Because now I don't have to say anything. Besides when God says it's a whole lot better. You know that? <laughs> you know, I, I love this. I never want to be one of Job's little helpers. <laughs> if you haven't read Job, you'll know what I'm talking about. Job had some amazing friends. Hey, Joe, let me tell you what's wrong with you. Oh, I, 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 have, I still remember reading that over and over again, thinking, I don't want to ever be one of those guys. I really don't. I want to be one of those guys that says, Phil, man, man, I love you, but let me tell you what you're doing wrong. <laughs> and Phil goes, oh, great. Thanks, buddy. But sometimes there is a place to have a conversation because we do pray. And then what did I say? Have a conversation. But we do it in a way that isn't condemning, but convicting. And you can't do that unless you've spent a lot of time talking to Jesus. <laughs> and you know the Word of God. You know, again, just, you know, again, just because you want to take the moral high ground and you think you have a right now to say something, that doesn't just give you the right. What gives you the right is the mourning and the grief and the prayer and the conversation and the clarity of God's Word and your heart that says, I'm going because I love you, I care about you, and I want to see conviction, not condemnation. And none of, nothing bad's going to happen in the sense of you're going to walk out of here feeling beaten up. If that has happened, then you haven't done it well. Now, you can do everything right, because I've been there, and sometimes the result's the same. But that's, again, that's something we realize that's on them. But even when it isn't done right, I've learned I am not going to burn the bridge. <clears throat> now, they may want to burn their side of the bridge, but I'm not going to burn mine. And I want them to know, look, at, at least you only have to build half the bridge. Can you say amen to that? <laughs> oh, hallelujah. So here's what this is saying is your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you are truly unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, has sacrificed for us. This is the work of the church. Jesus is our Passover lamb. He sacrificed so that these things can happen and change can take place. See, and here's what Paul, so Paul is bringing up this. Um, I, I thought this word is so absolutely relevant because this was probably written probably around the time of Passover. And you and I have done Passover together. And what was the first thing we do before we start the Passover? Those of you who have done this, do you, do you remember the first thing we did? We kind of made a game out of it. Get rid of the leaven, right? We had the feathers and the wooden spoons, and we just were having so much fun. You think, oh, this is a cute game. This is not a game. We're doing it to have fun, and, and, but it's, it's, it's done to communicate a very powerful lesson. Leaven in Scripture is what? Sin. And part of before anything is about to take place, 
before you start the ceremony, before you start worshiping, before you start appreciating the miracles of God, get rid of the leaven. And so, again, it's like he's repeating himself. Okay, guys, if you don't want to just believe what I'm saying, we've been practicing this since Moses. We've been getting rid of the leaven. The Word of God is repeated over and over and over again. We need to clean the house of leaven. Because before we can begin the feast, <laughs> we've got to get rid of the leaven. And if we fail to take this seriously, then I'm going to say something challenging. Then that means you fail to take God's holiness seriously. Right. If you don't take this seriously, then you don't see God as holy. Right. Sorry. I mean, if, you, if you're going to say God is a holy God, then you, you have to take this seriously. Right. <laughs> when I read this, it says, therefore, you know, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the, with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. <laughs> Remember David? David went through the same thing. Now, I just, one passage, Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. It's like David just got done reading this letter and he wrote that statement. Except he went through it before this letter was written. This ought to be our response. And see if there's any wicked, and again, wicked, malice, leaven in me. See, here's what I hear David saying. I don't want anything to stop me from fully engaging you, Jesus. God. Lord, I don't want anything to stop me from having this total, amazing, connected relationship with you. This is what is being written to the Corinthian church. This will stop us from having a fully engaged, real relationship with Jesus. And so, God, if there's any wicked way in me, lead me in the way of everlasting. I love David's word there. He doesn't say, Lord, punish me. He doesn't say, Lord, beat me up. Lord, drag me. He says, lead me in the way of everlasting. That's who our God is. He leads us down the right road. The only reason it feels bad, here's what I've learned, because you don't want to do it. <laughs> you ever heard, you know, yeah, I'm going to go kicking and dragging. <laughs> it's like, okay, God, grab me and just drag me in. And God's, God's not going to do that, but th I think that's why it feels like it's so painful. This is, this is challenging, isn't it? I'm going to ask you to really take time to reflect on this.
we're not going to uh, we're not going to have a big response right now. That's going to be next week. I, I, here's my prayer that you're going to spend all week thinking about what we've just talked about. Some of you will listen to the message again. Some of you need to listen to the message again. And then process it. Pray about it. And I tell you, here's what my prayer is for us. That this week at some point you'll mourn. It'll hit you and you'll feel that sense of mourning. And conviction. And then you're going to start really praying. God, forgive me. God, forgive us. God, clean out the leaven. And God's going to lead you into the way of everlasting. Is it of that? Thank you for listening. Tune in each week and be greatly inspired and moved to deeper revelation. For service times and other resources, go to our website at alfc.us or download our app.